Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 28th of June. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. We expect nothing but full and open discussions and answers from RTE. The public and those who work in RTE, who had no knowledge or involvement in this, deserve nothing less. That's the Taoiseach, Leo Bradker, speaking yesterday in the Dáil, sending a strong message to RTE. Confess. The revelations from RTE last week are deeply unsettling uh, and they have shaken public trust in what is an important institution. We want to see trust restored quickly because we do need a strong public service broadcaster uh, for our state. Well, there is no doubt, is there, the reputation of the national broadcaster is in tatters. Uh, That the vast majority of staff in RTE um, would have known nothing about this uh, and certainly didn't benefit from it in any way. Today, the first of two Oireachtas committees will get the chance to put questions to RTE. The former DG, uh, D Forbes, I agree that she should uh, appear before committee. Um, the fact that uh, she is no longer the Director General uh, doesn't mean that she cannot. Uh, and I believe it is appropriate that, sh- that she should tell uh, her side of the story and give us her version of events. That's been done to an extent in a statement Uh, But I think people would like to ask more questions uh, and interrogate that statement somewhat. And getting to the bottom of what RTE has been up to won't end there. The government has initiated a thorough review of the governance of RTE. And Minister Martin briefed Cabinet on that this AM. The Minister has also written to the Chairperson of the Board, uh, Shuni Rahala, and the Deputy Director General, Adrian Lynch, yesterday setting out our expectation as a government that the relevant members of the Board, the Executive and all relevant senior staff should attend and engage fully with the Rochtus committees examining these matters and with the independent review. So all eyes are now firmly on how RTE explains itself. We expect nothing but full and open discussions and answers from RTE. The public and those who work in RTE, who had no knowledge or involvement in this, deserve nothing less. So far, however, RTE's answers to questions have only led to even more questions. I think we need full transparency on all of these matters as soon as is possible because you can't have accountability uh, until you've transparency and truth. The first of uh, the Oireachtas committees to seek answers from RTE will be at a meeting today of the media committee. And that will be the opportunity to ask them questions and to press them further. 
Um, I don't know exactly why it's the case that we don't have uh, more detail on the payments between 2017 and 2019. Uh, I'll endeavour to find out more information on that today. Uh, I know that there is an inquiry going on in relation to that, um, and we will get that information. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why we can't get it today as opposed to a few days' time or next week. Um, but I will certainly follow up on that as will the Minister. Well, good luck with that. No disrespect, but can the fourth secret of Fatima be revealed, even if it is the Taoiseach who wants answers? Maybe not. But what does this say about the RTE board? I, I'm, I'm somebody who believes that you don't make judgments about things uh, or judgments about people until you know the facts. Um, it's a basic principle of justice uh, that people uh, are innocent and should be afforded the principle that they're innocent before uh, they're found guilty. So uh, it's on that basis that I say that I have confidence in the board and that I have confidence uh, in the remaining members of the executive. Obviously, if new facts emerge that we are not aware of, um, that changes things. Um, But I don't think it's right in a democracy. I don't think it's right uh, from a basic um, decency perspective uh, to express a lack of confidence in somebody before you know the facts and before you know whether or not they've done anything wrong. The Taoiseach, Leo Radker, we'll hear from members of the opposition later in the programme. Now, the Oireachtas Media Committee will meet today at half past one. Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles is a member of that committee. He joins us now. Good morning and thank you indeed, Senator Castles, for joining us on the programme today. It appears at this stage that you'll just have two people in front of you. What questions will you have for those persons or is there any point in putting any questions to either of those people given that both of the personnel say that they really don't know anything about what happened that has led to the scandal? Good morning, Michael. Um, yeah, well, we do know the names of, of two people, uh, Shuna Rahalik, the chair of the board, and Adrian Lynch, the acting uh, director general. Uh, we still don't know if there's others that has been said that that's not a finite list. Uh, the fact that we don't know who else is coming is quite really not acceptable. I've communicated that to the chair of the committee this morning already and asked him to get in contact with RTE to try and find out who else is coming because we requested far more than the two that they are legally uh, you know, providing mm. to, to the committee um, because their own statement, uh, which they claim that, well, some people, only one person knew everything, but others knew bits. Those people that they say knew bits, they're as key to this discussion as as, as is everyone else. So, for, for example, the head of commercial of OT, Geraldine O'Leary, that is someone that I specifically requested last Friday uh, being before the committee. Because if she knew a bit, well, then it's, a, it's a very important that she comes in before the committee and tells us what bits she knew in terms of the conversations that happened and the processes that were involved in allowing, as they claim, one person to have this unilateral control over this particular deal. Well, you'd imagine she knows quite a, a bit, wouldn't you, given that uh, the head of finance doesn't know much about this money that uh, went into this barter account. Yeah, and I mean, this is it is, it is really a rabbit hole. Uh, and I think this is why you had the very powerful uh, visual uh, image yesterday of over 200 journalists um, assembling on the steps of RTE headquarters. Uh, and for anyone who saw the footage last night, um, you know, real... You know, some people are actually nearly breaking down in tears with the, the sheer anger at what's been going on in the organisation, when at the same time they were involved with the NUJ, with mm. Seamus Dooley. At the very same time, and just tracing back the timeline here, Michael, this goes back to the, 
the kind of the embryonic stage of this was November 2019 when this deal was in its genesis for Ryan Tuberty and at the very same time this is when RT were looking for swinging cuts as well some from the region I think 60 million or whatever uh, so that's why I think there's real anger manifesting itself in the faces mm. of RT journalists when they knew they were being asked to cut significantly and yet cheek by jowl side by side in the corridors you had people walking by on mega books and side deals being done that's why the anger is manifesting yeah, uh, and the journalists in RTA do fantastic work and there is no doubt about this this is an awful slur on their name uh, but uh, there are so many questions to ask of the upper echelons uh, which appears to be circling the wagons and that mm. begs the question why why is this information so uh, hard to uh, get from those who should know uh, and are saying that they don't know and that the only person, I mean, it is a remarkable thing to say that the only person who knows everything about this now no longer works for RTA and is too sick to go before your committee or the PAC. Yeah, well, I mean, again, they, they also suspended uh, D Forbes, the Director General, last week and, and and really why did they suspend her when she was the one person that we needed? I know now she has she has stated that and we're not questioning that she has medical reasons that she can't attend. But I mean what conversations happened with her as well uh, prior to suspension because it's the one person that if they're claiming she knows all the answers that we could have elicited information from. Notwithstanding that, they do say in their own statement that other people were in the loop on this. The director of content, Jim Jennings, was kept involved because of, of, of his role within the organisation. The acting DG, Adrian Lynch, uh, had, had, had ele- as they say, had elements of the deal as well. Mm. He accused the category resources. So they've named people themselves that said, using the word that they had elements of the deal. I mean, look, at Michael, if you were in, 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 or, or in LMFM and you were aware of elements of deals, you yourself would be asking questions. So, well, what's the other aspects here? Are we, are we to believe that they all acted in silos and just said, oh, that's very nice, and walked on about their business? Um, so I do hope that having put into the public domain that people knew elements, that they're prepared, one, to bring the uh, people that we asked for to come along. Yeah. Because if not, it's, they're making a farce of themselves. They're not mm. making a farce of anyone other than themselves. Because they'll be sent away and told, we want you back again. Because under the Broadcasting Act, they're required to come before us at the committee in the first instance. So if they come in and try and treat the whole place with contempt and disrespect and try to be coy... That's fine. That's maybe they have their game plan mm. worked out. But if they do do that, they're going to find themselves back in again the following week and the week mm. after. So wouldn't it be a whole lot more sensible if they come in and actually try and engage? Because otherwise, my mind is cast back to the last time this particular committee dealt with a, a major controversy, which was the complete um, failure of governance within the, within the Football Association of Ireland. And at the time, we saw the same kind of shenanigans where one man came in, refused to answer questions point blank, cited legal um, reasons, had his whole board there with him. They all looked embarrassed. What happened? He got the boot. The board resigned. Public funding was cut off to the organisation and it has left them for four years in a complete dire scenario where they have had to painstakingly uh, rebuild. Mm. RT should be really, if I, if it should be minded to that scenario and maybe come in and just... Uh, you know, be open, which is what the public want. Right. Uh, perhaps uh, the uh, two people in front of you today will be able to clear up some confusion uh, about the €75,000 that was paid to Ryan Tuberty uh, as part of his pay, but it, it was paid to him by the sponsor, by Renault, by a commercial company. 
for a year until he couldn't make his public appearances because of COVID and then RTE paid the money. Uh, it was a five-year deal and I presume it was paid for the first two years. I think where the confusion is now was, was 75000 paid to Ryan Tuberty this year? Will 75000 be paid to Ryan Tuberty next year? And will 75000 another 75000 that is, be paid to Ryan Tuberty in 2025? Yeah, and, and, and what's more, um, in terms of what you meant about those €75,000 payments that people have been hearing about, and really kind of stuck in the in the grow yesterday was on top of that, RT were footing the bill for the public appearances for this as well. So not only were they picking up the tab when the when the deal fell asunder in terms of paying, but then for the public appearances they were picking up the they were picking up the, the bill for the sponsor as well, which cost over thirty grand. Mm. My God. Like it, it actually it, that really was the, the, the cherry on the cake yesterday when we when we heard about that as well. So they're 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 doing a side deal they're picking up the tab and when the man makes public appearances they're paying the associated cost of those appearances as well. And he doesn't even so work for RTE. Why would you bother going into work at all when you've got money for jam like that? Well, well, I mean, what do you mean going into work? Because he didn't work for RTE uh, and this is one uh, of the big questions about the structure of RTE yeah. and the way uh, people work there uh, but are allegedly self-employed. Yeah. Uh, explain that to people. Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. Of the of the top ten earners, when those uh, when those figures are published, Mike, and people see that the, the eye-watering amounts they're paid in, in six figures, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, and you will see a little asterisk beside their name, denoting the fact that they're actually not employees of OTE, but they are in fact self-employed. So they have set up companies themselves, and then deals are done, which is all legal in itself. But they are they are not employees of RTE. They're 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 self-employed people, uh, and then they are effectively on hire to RTE. And so this allowed a scenario then where um, people went off and, and and did other works, which is again legal. But within RTE's own uh, code of of governance, in terms of what is allowed under ethical standards, uh, it does state that um, presenters, reporters, producers uh, should not be participating. Uh, in things, you know, where, where mm. products are featured, where things are discussed. But sure, here we are doing commercial deals with commercial partners. It, mm. it, it actually strikes at the very heart of, yeah. of the, the code of governance for RT themselves. Yeah, revenue, that's why the, the revenue, reviews, cl- re- revenue clamped down on local radio in the 1990s. Uh, and um, uh, it said that's the end of that messing. Um, we'll have no more of that uh, contractor stuff. The people are working for you. Uh, they told the local radio stations, pay their PRSI, mm. give, give them their holidays and all of that. And we don't want these uh, bogus tax returns from your staff who are letting on that they're not your staff and are running up expenses and all of this sort of thing or uh, training people or employing people to work for them so that they can go to work in RTE. Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, there's definitely one rule for RTE there and a, a completely different rule for local radio, uh, which hasn't been allowed to do this now for uh, 25 years. Yeah, I think, and, and I, can, I can hear the passion in your voice and that's exactly why the, when this complete overhaul that the, that the Minister also has ordered because I think this is not going to uh, end with one scandal surrounding payments to, to Ryan Tuberty. This is going to lead to a complete overhaul of the governance structure of the, of the state broadcaster and how it's uh, operating and going back again to the ordinary journalists who are paid a, a fraction of what these 
guys were on with their with their with their big money. The people mm. who are researching, producing the shows, are going out into the field and reporting, and they just felt peed off looking mm. at this yesterday. Going, my God, we, we've been taken for fools yeah. along this ride as well. Uh, and you know, and I, we're I, seven I, days I, into it now, and the Taoiseach yeah. telling the doll yesterday he doesn't know anything about this money that was paid to Ryan Tuberty between 2017 and 2019. Mm. What was that? 120,000 euro that nobody seems to know anything about. Yeah, and they're saying that the, the, the report into this still won't be finalised for another number of weeks as well, so I don't envisage that there'll, there'll and, be any kind of... Uh, and some, some, somebody was paid €80,000 to pay Ryan Tuberty €120,000. Yes, it's good money if, if you can get it, and, and this just shows the, the nonsense that's been going on in terms of the very presence of agents to begin with. But surely... It's in Hollywood. So, but surely... It's in Hollywood. Yeah. We we're a small country, and one wonders why there was a necessity for um, these kind of middlemen to begin with in terms of the whole process. Going back yeah. to what you said, in terms of having guys who are self-employed, and it's not just one or two. So I mentioned the top ten. I think of mm. the top ten, six are possibly on these type of, of structures, with only four from primarily in the newsroom, the likes of Brian Dobson and so forth, mm. who are employees and not on, on these kind of deals. So mm. I think this is going to cast a big shine. i put it this way. I think there's going to be a lot of top presenters worried about the kind of spotlight that's going to be shone on how RT are doing their business. Mm. And remember, one... one and what about payments in kind? To the agent for all of these people, what not about, just in RT, yeah. in, other, in other stations as well. What about payments in kind? Uh, are, are there questions about that? Uh, were, were gifts given? Were cars given to people? Yeah, and I and I think it's 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 not going to be just uh, as I said. That's, that's the point I'm making. That's not going to be just one person. I'm, I'm sure that practice maybe went on uh, for for other people as well. Uh, in terms of then the the revenue issues and the tax issues and the benefit and kind issues that that raises as well. Uh, mm. So I think there's going to be a lot of. I don't think maybe those questions are going to get trashed out today because this is a three-hour session. There's mm. 14 members in the committee. I'm meeting with my colleagues now um, shortly after. Uh, doing this interview, I will be trying to work out our best strategy for yeah. eliciting the best information and in what, what a, a period of time it's going to fly by because there's so much to be discussed. Yeah, I don't think you'll even get uh, to how RTE uh, broadcasts advertising that it lets on isn't advertising. I mean, it's sort of used car salesman uh, Dublin 4 stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, if you hear an ad for a concert... Um, apparently it's not an ad. It's RTE supporting the arts. Um, if uh, or No, it's a music update. If you hear um, um, something else um, for the theatre or something, it's RTE supporting the arts. But they're not ads. Uh, and there's a, reason for, there's a reason for that. That means they can put out more ads. Uh, you wouldn't be allowed to do that anywhere else. Yeah, and again, that goes back to the question in terms of right, what are local radio stations allowed, what are independent radio stations allowed mm. to do, vis-a-vis what the state broadcaster is allowed to do. I think that's going to be trashed out over the, the six to seven month mm. period that the review is going on. I think today, you know, the focus should be very much on um, this particular issue because it, it, it hasn't been resolved. There was a nine-page mm. uh, statement issued by RTE yesterday talking about the structure and the, the, the genesis for, for how this all came about. And it came about, again, I keep going back to this, I know it sounds like a broken record, but it came about because they wanted to implement cuts. They wanted to implement cuts, but one man ended up with more money than he started off on. That's why people are angry. This is where we're tracing this back to November 2019 when RT said we needed cuts in the region of 60 million. And yet, at the end of that process, one man ended up with more money than he started off. And then he was to get an exit deal. And nobody an and nobody knows what an exit deal is. Well, look, at I, I, I worked for a, in a newsroom for a long time. You've been in, in, in journalism a long time. I've never heard of other people getting exit deals 
Um, it's, it's the first time I've heard of the phrase. I don't think anyone else in other employment deal is if you were out the door, you were out the door. But here, here we're getting an exit deal for a man that's been retained in employment anyway. Mm. See what you know. So this this is stuff in the in the in the in the realms of as you said, you know, used car dealmen or whatever. But it's not. It's real life and agents operating on their behalf uh, dreamed up these phrases to be able to actually then magic up money that is real money. This isn't magic. There's real money that landed in people's bank accounts uh, and. I think that for RT to come in and say, right, we, we know we know elements, well then, they better make sure they have the people there today that mm. also know the elements because otherwise they're going to make a farce of themselves and we're going to end up in a scenario where they're, where they're going to be treated in a farcical manner then in its analysis tonight on other news programmes and they're going to end up back in again next week. Yeah, so, well, I think I, I think if uh, the right people don't turn up today or if they can't give uh, well, the answers to the questions that are, are put to them today that you're going to be very frustrated, the other members of the committee are going to be very frustrated and I think all of us tuning in will be very frustrated for that matter. There's also the question here of they have used they have used the phrase of in terms of and grant on in terms of no illegality is is at play here. Okay. Well then if we're able to make that assertion, everyone has to be able to stand over that in making sure that there's full transparency. Because how can you make that assertion if we don't know exactly what went down to allow everything to happen? And so you know that's the frustrating element that everyone's kind of walking in eggshells, no, there's nothing to see here, there's no illegality, fair enough. Well, then you have to let the, be able, the public to be able to make up their mind on that as well by presenting all of the facts. Because mm. if there was um, elements, well, then obviously this becomes a matter beyond the Rockies Committee, it becomes a matter for, for the guards and other people as well. Uh, so, yeah, there's, it, it's a big moment for yeah. OTE. It's a big moment it's, it, because the credibility of the state broadcaster in which... Um, so many people place their trust. And it's a big moment for journalism in itself, the wider question of journalism, because if we can't trust the state broadcaster, the state journalist, it really just goes to the heart of undermining democracy. I hope RTE, I, I, I know the ordinary rank and file journalists take that seriously. I hope those, like so many other things in terms of those who lead them or are attempting to lead, if we want to call it that, actually take that seriously because the credibility of their organisation is at play here. Okay. They, 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 they can fudge the questions. They can do that if they, if they choose to do that. If they do do that, they're going to leave themselves in a worse situation going out the door this evening. Or they can choose to answer the questions at half past one today when uh, the committee meets. Senator Castles, thank you indeed for thank joining you. us on the programme today. Shane Castles is a Fianna Fáil senator. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Jerry was on the phone there and he says you couldn't make uh, this stuff up. Thanks for the call to the programme, Jerry. He says Renault must have been laughing all the way to the bank. RTE playing their ads non stop on the Late Late Show and then paying Renault for three events hosted by Tubbs basically for free. Also, Tubbs would also that Tubbs would stay at RTE. Mad stuff altogether, says Jerry. Martin says draw a line in the sand and cap all presenters' pay at 50,000 regardless, including Patrick Keely, then let them all stay or leave. There are lots of people capable of doing their jobs who would be delighted with 50,000 a year with what they save. They could employ more staff or pay increases to those who are working for a fraction of their worth. How can presenters on crazy amounts of money have credibility when they're 
together discussing important topics such as poverty, homelessness and the daily struggle to pay household bills when they haven't got a clue uh, about life in the real world. Uh, Larry in touch uh, saying that basically it's all down to misappropriation of funds. So so surely it's time uh, that uh, a proper investigation was conducted. Sarah asks, does RTE honestly expect us to believe that no one other than D Forbes knew about these payments and there was no one else involved? How is that even possible? I think what they're saying is that she's the only one who knows everything. Other people know little bits, but that's all they know. She knows all of the little bits combined. How was the Director General the one who was signing off on this without okaying with the board or the accounts department, Sarah asks, and she wonders how stupid RTE think people are. It's insult after insult to the licence fee payers in how RTE is handling this. Thank you for that uh, as I say. Sarah, a WhatsApp message to us uh, from someone who says, Michael, they've scapegoated D Forbes now and she'll be thrown under the bus by the board to cover their hides uh, and uh, our caller thinks uh, that this is just corruption. Thank you. Uh, we've uh, uh, John Conlon uh, in Bally McKenney, uh, sending me it's a photograph of a brown envelope. He says it looks empty. It does look empty, John. He says Ryan got there first, uh, but there's one for everyone in the audience. Very good, John. Thank you indeed. I imagine that one's doing the rounds. Uh, somebody else, Sean in Dublin 9, thanks for your WhatsApp message as well. He says it's easy to win the lotto every year without having to buy a ticket. Join RTA, get a swelled head, believe in your own mind that you are loved by one and all and a star who is better than the rest. Thank you, Sean in Dublin 9. Cahill in morning says if the audit was conducted in March, April it really looks like Tubbs and Forbes knew what was coming and jumped ship before the proverbial hit the fan. The top earners are like pigs at the taxpayer's trough. Shame on them all. There is absolutely no way I'm ever paying a licence fee again. By the way, just wanted to say, keep up the good work, LMFM. Uh, service for the local area, local radio all the way. Thank you, Carl, for that uh, and everybody who's been in touch with us so far. 0419832000 if you want to ring us, text or WhatsApp 086 658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, we heard from uh, the Taoiseach at uh, the top of uh, the programme. I said we'd hear from uh, the opposition. I don't think there's much disagreement uh, depending uh, on um, uh, the way politicians line up uh, in, in terms of uh, the parties. But we'll hear from some of the opposition now. The revelations of last week show a total disregard of how public money is spent. People who struggle to pay their annual licence fee at a time of a cost of living crisis and they face significant penalties if they don't pay it. They're rightly disgusted by what we've seen and learnt over the last week. It is totally unacceptable that in a publicly funded body there would be such disparities in pay. Where the well-connected few are on sky-high wages and many ordinary workers are struggling on low and average pay. And a culture of secrecy hid this fact. People need to have confidence that RT's top executives are acting with honesty and with integrity. And that isn't asking for much. This should be the bare minimum in any publicly funded body. So many questions still remain to be answered. 
And this can't be kicked down the road to another inquiry which might take months or even a year to shed light on the situation. We've heard today that the former Director General, D. Forbes, is refusing to come before the Public Accounts Committee and another committee of this House. She's come before the Public Accounts Committee before. Indeed, in January 2020, she categorically told the Public Accounts Committee that the remuneration of high earners at RTE was cut by 15%. She categorically misled that committee, misled these houses, misled the public, and she has a responsibility as former Director General of RTE to release information into the public domain and to correct the record as soon as possible. As I say, there's little disagreement uh, amongst uh, the politicians. That was Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty. This is the leader of uh, the Social Democrats, Holly Kearns. Taoiseach, it's now six days since we first learned the bombshell news of Orchie's secret payments to Ryan Tuberty. Incredibly, we're still waiting to find out the most basic information. For instance, we don't know how the entire 345,000 in excess payments was made to Mr Tuberty. How is that still the case? How can the national broadcaster, which is in receipt of 200 million in state funding annually, not know how it funded secret payments to its highest earner? They've been aware of this issue since March, three months. How many accounts are they sifting through looking for these payments? Are their accounts really that convoluted? The whole thing just seems extraordinary. Mm, it does, doesn't it? Uh, they're all pertinent questions. There's no doubt about it. That's uh, the Social Democrats' Holly Kearns. Manny McGrath's an independent TD, and he really sounded frustrated speaking in the doll yesterday. I want a debate, a full debate here on the RTE debacle. There are many thousands of decent workers in RTE, and this scandal that's going on here, and we saw when the board and the executive board, and one of the boards suspended uh, D. Forbes, then she was uh, dismissed. And she's blatantly refusing to come before any committee. I want, like what happens to people who fail, are unable, or don't wish to pay their licence because of the poor service in RT, I want um, uh, Ms Forbes to be arrested and charged and brought before, but I'll get the guarantee to question her if you won't come before this house. The people are aghast at what's going on at the top levels in some organisations. Of course, willy willy with you and the government. And, Sorry? It's order of business. Yes, it is. I want a full and fulsome debate here about uh, the debacle at RT and the failure of your government and Ms. Forbes to ride into the sunset. So I want the, a gathered investigation to ensure that Ms. Forbes no, is held to account and other senior people in RT. Right, that's independent TD, Matthew McGrath, obviously speaking under dull privilege. Let's hear from people before Prophets Richard Boyd Barrett. The scandal of the secret payments to Ryan Tuberty uh, in RT has highlighted very serious questions about governance and oversight in public bodies uh, in receipt of large amounts of uh, public funding. And of course, it is gut-wrenching for the ordinary workers in RTE, the ordinary journalists who do not benefit from these staggering salaries that a small few at the top got, or the Uh, additional secret uh, payments uh, to see this uh, scandal unfold when those workers were victims of pay freezes, pay cuts, zero-hour contracts, instances of bogus self-employment, abuse of fixed-term contracts. Uh, All of these things now uh, need to be looked at. And it's something I've been raising for quite a while about what's going on in the film industry that echoes uh, this, where large amounts of public money go in. Uh, it's been suggested to me that many of the actors and performers 
working for RT uh, Drama are also being asked to sign buyout contracts on their intellectual property and the right to royalties. Uh, so at the top, people getting secret payments, staggering salaries, actors, performers, workers getting shortchanged. But I also think this requires further investigation on something I've been talking about, about the money going into the film industry. Because you have the same stuff going on there. Huge amounts of money, not proper oversight. And I put it to you, we're getting, you if you properly investigate it, you'll get a similar picture. Small group at the top, doing very, very well, out of large amounts of public money, but the actors, the performers, the film crew, the people who actually uh, make films happen, often being treated in the most shoddy fashion. Richard Boyd Barrett, Vanna Bankage is the leader of the Labour Party. Taoiseach, I know you've spoken about earlier about uh, the fact that RT are due to issue a statement at three o'clock, but it seems we're all in the dark until we see that statement as to the answers that we're awaiting concerning the issue of secret payments. And I know everyone will feel immense solidarity with the staff of, of RTE who are on ordinary employment contracts and who are trying to get on and do their, uh, their jobs to the best of their abilities in keeping with the spirit of public service broadcasting. And yet it seems extraordinary that you as Taoiseach uh, have been left in the dark, as we all have been left in the dark, awaiting this statement. Can I ask, Taoiseach, did you meet with the outgoing and incoming Directors-General of RTE recently? And if so, if they didn't tell you anything about this, do you feel that you've been left in the dark by them? Indeed, the Taoiseach did say that he expected that statement to be released at three o'clock yesterday, as we heard from Vanna Backage there a moment ago. Uh, it was half past five before RTE uh, released uh, the statement and it was nine pages long, said very little, really other than how if you want answers to this, you've got to speak to D Forbes, uh, who was suspended as the director general and then resigned and has already told both the Media Committee and the Public Accounts Committee that she won't be in front of them this week to take answers because she is unwell. So it seems as though there's not going to be any answers. The general public and workers at RTE are utterly appalled at the revelations of secret payments to Ryan Tuberty. They raise a number of questions about the uh, public service role of uh, RTE. One aspect is the function of effectively secret agreements with companies. In this case, what we are led to believe is that in 2020, RTE made an arrangement with a car company, Renault, whereby in order to avoid it appearing on RTE's balance sheet, um, Renault would make a payment of €75,000 to Ryan Tuberty, in return for which Renault got a credit note for advertising worth €75,000 and uh, a number of visits, three visits, I think, by Ryan Tuberty. In other words, it cost Renault nothing um, and Renault actually got a, a benefit uh, from it. It raises a couple of questions. One... Um, there was an FOI to which an answer from RTE Climate Watch, which an answer was received on the 15th of February 2022, asking about all communications and documents regarding any payments or payments in kind from the motoring, aviation or travel industries to any RTE staff member, which the answer came back to say, no, there wasn't anything. It seems to suggest that that FOI is, is incorrect. But secondly, it, it raises a broader question about the role of fossil fuel advertising at RTE and whether it's having an influence on editorially what is produced. An interesting fact, Late Late Show in its entire history 
referenced climate change twice, both times having climate change deniers on. It didn't deal with this like biggest issue facing all of humanity at, at any stage. And I think it's time to have a conversation about getting rid of the influence of these fossil fuel companies as we've gotten rid of the role of uh, tobacco advertising, for example. All right, there goes more credibility. That's Paul Murphy. Uh, thanks uh, to Gordon, who's texted us uh, this morning, who says uh, this Oireachtas meeting is going to be another John Delaney-style farce where the only people who show up either weren't there, didn't sign off on anything, can't recall or can't comment based on legal advice. Dee Forbes' resignation followed by the RTE statement that she was the only one with all of the information was a carefully orchestrated act of cowardice to keep the public in the dark. It's amazing to have all of these executives on sky-high wages yet no one knows anything. No one did anything. What are their wages for exactly? Meanwhile, Miss Forbes is laughing all the way to the bank with her own massive wages, pension, most likely a golden handshake, an exit fee, uh, no accountability, no consequences, and who's left holding the bag? You and me, as per usual, says Gordon. Thank you indeed for your text. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now we're joined once again by Paul O'Brien, uh, the chair of the Irish Farmers Association uh, Environment Group. Uh, uh, group. Uh, Paul, good morning to you. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme today. Following on uh, from uh, that uh, split vote uh, yesterday, which rejected uh, the EU nature restoration law, this was uh, the European Parliament's Environment Committee, 44 in favour, 44 against. What does that mean for the law now? Okay, good morning, Michael. Um, I think what this means for the law is that uh, the preliminary will be voting in couple of weeks time and then at that stage it's um probably going to be if i'm going to be um honest it's probably going to be very close again however i do see some form of this going through now um and it will then probably go into the trialogues the trialogues are going to be the commission's paper which probably will be very heavily scrutinized again um it will possibly mean that a series of amendments at the preliminary stage will be introduced. It only takes 36 individual MEPs or a larger political party to get together to kind of put amendments in place. So I believe a lot of these amendments mm. will go in place and so therefore there will be some form of a compromise position probably put there. Well, at um, least 36 uh, MEPs uh, will want to do what you're hoping, which is to put forward uh, amendments because we had 44 in that committee voting uh, against. Uh, uh, but that's out of 705 MEPs. Uh, and, of course, um, the EPP pulled a, a bit of a stroke yesterday, pulling eight of their members on the committee and replacing them with MEPs who would most definitely vote against. Well, I suppose, look, that's not really my kind of um, area that I'm not going to say going to be the moral compass of whether they should or they shouldn't. No, but, clearly, but, 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 but I'm, I'm looking at it simply... As it was described, Michael. I'm looking at it simply in terms of where the support lies and doesn't lie, uh, because uh, 44 MEPs, I mean, it's significant in terms of the committee, but in terms of the plenary session when 705 MEPs have a, a vote, it could be a very different story. No, absolutely. And no one's trying to kind of delude anybody. You know, we've always said in IFA that um, 
you know, nature restoration and, you know, bringing farmers on that journey is very important and we have to do our piece for biodiversity. No one is arguing that, Michael. And I think, but the whole point of this is, is that to design something that clearly has the ability to do the multiple benefits, bring farmers with you, you know, but clearly this was very poorly described by the commission. This was, this has really been, I would suggest, and I think last time I was on with you, you referred to it as brutal politics, and I think it could have been perceived, yes, as most certainly brutal politics, to bring a, a law in place that clearly did not bring people with them. People could even describe it. Politicians, leading politicians could not describe it. So if we as farmers are meant to be introducing measures on our farms that clearly the people trying to describe this to us had no idea what this looked like, how can you bring farmers with you on that journey? This is the vagueness that we've always been flagging. Design something that everybody can embrace and work with. At the moment, we now have probably a situation where if it does go into the trial, so it will have to win in the European Parliament by the 705 MEPs will have to vote. So it will have to go through the Parliament and it will have to win through there. And then it will go into the thing that's called the trilogues. But let's be honest, at the moment, free EU committees have now rejected this. So clearly, this is not just a party political thing. This is clearly stating that the policy direction, the way that this was trying to be imposed, was clearly fundamentally wrong. If you had the Swedish presidency rejecting this themselves, who are meant to be the promoters of this, then something is clearly wrong with the Commission's proposals at the start. Mm. But uh, it seems uh, like everything else um, with uh, the environment and climate change, uh, the politicians tend to speak out of both sides of their mouth. They want to do everything to save the planet, if you like, Paul. But when it comes to tangible actions, uh, it's a step too far. Disagree with that, Michael. What I would suggest is, is that you know farmers have done a lot over the last number of years. Like we've we've accepted massive changes to our farming practices. A lot of it has been unquantified in the in, in cost to farmers. A new marginal abatement cost curve is going to be announced in the next month from Chuggers, which is now trying to get farmers to meet the new. 25% reduction attributed to agriculture last year. But the reality is that farmers have done a lot of work. There is a feeling on the ground with farmers that you know, we haven't really been respected for the amount of work that we've actually physically done. So we are the boots on the ground. We are the only people who are going to be able to deliver an improvement in biodiversity. Mm. So, Commission, talk to us. Design things that we can work with and we can embrace together to get the multiple benefits for everybody. Mm. Well, forgive me for thinking that the Green Party probably thinks that Fine Gael is talking out of both sides of its mouth. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. At home, uh, Fine Gael is telling the Green Party it's supported this law up to very recently. Uh, and uh, when it comes to the crunch, um, it's blocked it uh, at a European level. Well, look, that's a political statement there. I'm not in that sphere. I'm not going to comment on that other than to say, you know, I'm a farmer elected by farmers to represent them and to clearly state, you know, the flaws that we see in the nature restoration law. So, you know, maybe you should be asking someone in the politi- mm. in public politics that that's not my area, Michael. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend to go down that road. Mm. OK, uh, but... I mean, what the Green Party want is this law and uh, that land would be re-wetted. That can be done to different degrees, uh, but even if you're raising the water table by a couple of millimetres, that could cause uh, untold problems for many farmers. I think when you look out the window today and see all of that water falling out of uh, the sky, if you were to raise the water table by a few millimetres on a, a piece of land, on a day like this, what would it mean in terms of being able to farm that land? Well, we're not talking about millimetres here. We are talking about maybe where, you know, dikes around fields that were probably three feet deep, bringing them up maybe a foot and a half. So we're not talking millimetres here. We're talking, you know, we're talking lots of millimetres. We're talking maybe 45 centimetres. So it's not just a millimetre. So I wouldn't want to trivialise it, Michael. But the mm. reality is, is that, you know, this is going to have a knock-on effect on, you know, farmers' ability to kind of produce silage, produce hay, we, they'll have to have a reduced farming activity on that type of land, but I think this is the this is the, the key problem. This is not only a, and the trigger point here has always been rewetting. It's not only about rewetting. That is just one part of these, the, you know, the whole debate. It is also about you know baseline figures of what nature deterioration actually looks like. At the moment, we are very, very unclear, and nobody is really suggesting to us that they really understand, you know, what is the definition between good and bad, and where does that divide and line be? So, you know, a lot of work is going to have to be done on this, in, in this space. But can we just be clear about something now? You know, it's not only about re-wetting. Mm. Re-wetting, we now believe that, uh, you know, and it is the compromise documents that the uh, um, that Malcolm Noonan and Eamon Ryan brought last week, which is to the Council of Ministers, we believe that, okay, that's more workable proposition. There's no doubt about that. But clearly there's still deficits in the knowledge gap. We still do not believe that there's going to be a a new fund made available to farmers in order to help them on this journey. The Commissioner for Environment last week said there's not the mechanism in place and he doesn't believe that there's time to do that in order to pay farmers for this nature restoration measures that they're going to be encouraged and expected to do. Mm. A lot of vagueness here, Michael, still. We also have another 
scenario where, you know, voluntary is not being included in any of the text. We've heard, OK, farmers do this, it's all going to be voluntary. Include it in the text and somewhere in that law to give farmers reassurances. It's because at the moment, voluntary is nowhere to be seen. Yeah, well, I'm sure um, there's many species uh, who aren't volunteering uh, to leave uh, the planet. We're talking about mass extinction of many species if we don't act and act now, according to the scientists. Well, you know, I've listened to some of what the scientists say. It has to also be acknowledged, Michael, and I think we need to be very, very clear and honest about this. Farmers received their space for nature calculations last September. There was a fear that farmers, some farmers wouldn't even achieve 4%. The average figure is between 12 and 14%. So the reality is, is that we're asking farmers, or the Commission is asking farmers, and our government is, to go up an extra 6%. So, you know, dedicate a little bit more land for, far, um, for our farming to biodiversity. Also have to remember that this is a new agricultural practice. Before now, farmers... Before they'd say this new cap has now been designed and implemented on the 1st of January this year, before farmers were penalised for allowing their ditches to be kind of, which would have been considered overgrown. So, you know, there's a whole work has to take place here. You know, farmers have followed a policy. If they weren't, they were penalised by mm-hmm. the government and by the Commission and within their EU payments. So, you know, don't blame the farmers for all of the problems. We're, farmers are policy takers. We... We received money from the European Union under the terms and conditions of previous caps. And if that previous cap suggests that ditches had to be cut to a certain distance away, otherwise you would be penalised, then don't blame farmers for following the system. We didn't make these rules. These rules were the ones handed to us by the European Commission and imposed on us by our own government and our Department of Agriculture. Okay. Paul, thank you very much for taking our call once again. Paul O'Brien, the IFA's Environment Chair. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's go to the Gale Talked in the digital age. Minister Patrick O'Donovan, Minister of State with responsibility for the Office of Public Works and the Gale Talked, is in Rathcarn in County Mead today, where he'll be turning the sod on a new innovation and digital hub. Good morning, Minister, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, wet old day there for your visit. You have a very busy agenda at that. Uh, but uh, exciting times for people living in the Gale Talked who will have the prospect of working in the Gale Talked. Uh, and this from uh, the first quarter of next year. Uh, yeah, good morning, Mike, and good morning to your, to your listeners. And look, it's, uh, <clears throat> you're right, it's, uh, it's uh, on a fluke, I imagine, as I say, look, it's a miserable day today, but uh, I don't think the farmers will be complaining about it too much. Um, so look, it's, it's a good day for, for the Gale to appear. And really, <clears throat> to be honest about it, this is an amazing story of, of, of resilience uh, of the language here in County Mead, uh, how a small community have managed to maintain their heritage and their uh, connection to the language and keep the language alive for the next generation. And, and as I'm speaking to you, I'm just in the car park of the Nina in, uh, in Rackairn, uh, you know, where the next generation of local children here are, are being brought up through the medium of Irish um, and that's a, a fantastic thing, and it just shows, I suppose, that when, when the, the local core come in and the, the, the county council, um, the Department of the Gael took Forest of Gael, Uderas of Gael took to work together, um, what can be achieved for, um, you know, an area like this where there is obvious pressures on the language for, for survival, uh, for 
jobs for people that move in and move out of the Grailsucht, uh, for housing, uh, for sites being sold. Uh, but it is still flourishing and, uh, you know, great credit is due to the next generation as well that have decided to take it upon themselves to hold on to this part of our heritage mm. here in this part of County Mead and grow it. Mm. And I, I take it this hub uh, will feed I- I- into that uh, ability uh, to make sure that the language continues locally because people will be able to work locally. Yeah, so the overall strategy of the Department of the Grail took through, the, through language planning would be to make sure that people have an opportunity to live, work, uh, play uh, and, and engage in community activities in their local area through the medium of Irish. Um, so being allowed to do that in, in a GTEC uh, where we're putting in upwards of a half a million euros into uh, modernising a facility and making it purposeful for people may not necessarily be working in the local area but allows them to, to, to work at home reduces commuting times, uh, allows them to work through the medium of Irish, uh, allows them to work, for instance, maybe for companies in other Gaelic regions um, uh, here in County Mead. So the opportunities that are there now are, I think, well enunciated by my colleague Heather Humphreys, who is a strong advocate of, of the whole idea of connected hubs. But by the same token, Uder Asna Gaelic, they have, you know, we, we with the Department of the Gaelic, we have our own network of, of connected hubs called GTEC, uh, which is really the same thing through the medium of Irish, providing an opportunity for the next generation with good quality facilities, good broadband, uh, good amenities, uh, good services in the local area where they don't have to travel. And that's very important. Mm. Uh, other residents in County Mead may be envious if uh, the broadband is that good. Well, look, I suppose we've made a big effort in, in the Department of the Grail. Uh, you know, um, typically people would view the Grail areas, and rightly so, as very um, peripheral, very isolated. Uh, difficult to connect areas. So the government over the last number of years has made a concerted effort uh, in collaboration with Udras the Gaeltic to, uh, to connect uh, people working and living in the Gaeltic. Because ultimately, if you don't do that, uh, if you if you dilute the language to the point where people are, have no opportunities, uh, well, then it gradually disappears. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's bigger than broadband and it's bigger than work. It's about, it's about you know, the only real thing on this island that differentiates us from the other islands in this part of northwestern Europe is our language, our mm. culture, our sport. Um, so if we don't invest in it, it will disappear. So that's why we're making the investment that we're making in uh, in communities like uh, Rackairn uh, today in County Beat. OK, a most significant part of our heritage. But a, a language, uh, as you say, Minister, that is under pressure. And uh, not just uh, in general. Uh, it's a, a language uh, that appears to be under pressure in other Gael talk to. It is, look, but I suppose the census results as well give us a great uh, opportunity for hope um, that we've kind of bottomed out and flatlined in terms of uh, the decline. But, you know, you, n- you need to look at the incline as well in Grail Scullina and Grail Kalashti across the country where people outside uh, of the Grail Tuck areas are refinding themselves, uh, you know, in their Irish. And I suppose, look at it, I mean, it's no secret, I've said it umpteen times, you know, I got the shock of my life today. I was asked to take on the role of uh, Minister for the Grail Tuck because, you know, I've lost my Irish three times. I lasted after coming out of school, went back to college, learned it unofficially, lost it again, went back to when I became a primary teacher. Uh, since I became a TD, I could feel myself losing it. So now I'm relearning it again. So I'm no different to anybody who grew up in the 80s. Uh, I went to school in the 80s uh, or late 70s, uh, where Irish was essentially taught through the medium of English, you know, where you, you basically mm. were taught through translation, which is not the way that it is taught now, thankfully, anymore. 
Um, and, you know, I'm no different to anybody else who, who did my leave cert in the early 90s who probably feels that I have a better standard of French than I do of Irish. Mm. Now, I know some people will, will use the opportunity to lampoon that. And regrettably, a local TD in County Mead, you know, took aim at me with regard to my Irish uh, and with regard to previous Fine Gael ministers for uh, the Irish language. And that really is a reason, to be quite honest about it, that the language is in decline. If you have TDs uh, and people who should know better uh, when it comes to encouraging people in Irish, taking aim at them and, and lampooning them, criticising them and mocking them, uh, then it sends out a signal to other people who might like to use the Irish language, well, you know, I, I, I probably wouldn't be able to do it because people will laugh at it. Mm. Those are the people, I believe, that can stand up and take the greatest amount of credit in this country for the decline in the Irish language. Mm. And, he, and he should take responsibility for his actions in that space. Okay. Um, do you want to uh, tell us more? Who, who, who is it you're talking about? Uh, cause, uh, well, you can use your imagination, and I'll, I'll leave it at that, but I, I think it is regrettable when TD. you know... Um, well, uh, every, uh, every, as every, things every, stand, it's one of six people, so I think... Well, uh, <laughs> Well, every member of Dáil Éireann is entitled to become Minister for the Bailtucht because yeah. of their mandate. I know. And no, nobody should be ridiculed. Okay. And and but there's six people uh, implicated by what you said, so I think yeah, I have it, to ask you. It, it, it's, the only, it's the only TD from County Mead who's the leader of a political party of oh, one. Okay, Patrick Tobey. All right, we'll ask him about that on the programme. Uh, that was refreshingly honest of you to talk about how you've struggled with uh, the language. Yeah, but, but instead of, instead of actually, if, he, if he's if he's as anxious as he says he is for the future of the Irish mm. language, he should stand in front of the mirror and maybe he'd find the reason why the language, to some degree, has deteriorated because people that are mocked are lampooned for the efforts that they make in Irish uh, are, are the very people whose winning, whose confidence is eroded by people like that. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know... Yeah, that's a, that, that, would, that, that would seem a, a valid point. I mean, I'll put those points uh, on the programme. Uh, I'll give you my word that we'll ask Patrick Tobin at least to respond to that. And by the way, but it shouldn't be the preserve of native Irish speakers to be member, to be ministers for the Irish language. Mm. This language is as much my heritage as it is much the people who claim to be fluent in it. Okay. Uh, and it, it should not be in any way the preserve of, uh, of people to say that because somebody's language uh, proficiency isn't what it should be, that's no reason to say that they shouldn't be minister for the language. But generally least, speaking, least, yeah, but generally speaking, minister, minister, at least, at least demonstrate that they're trying like parents of children yeah. all over the country mm struggling with the language that those of us in politics can okay. struggle with the language as well. Okay, well, well Patrick Tobin obviously insulted you uh, and we'll ask him... Uh, Not only me, but everybody, yeah, every, okay. every former I, minister for debate. I, I, I accept that, Minister. Uh, but I, I'd like to ask you a broader question because I, I think uh, there's a problem with proficiency of Irish across the population. I don't think you'll disagree with that. Uh, no. And uh, there's many people who have gone to school for 10 years and haven't got one word, let alone a couple of folk. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, what is the problem in the schools? Uh, and therein uh, is the age-old problem. Why can we not teach lang- languages? And it's not just Irish. You say it's better now. It's probably better now. Uh, you said your French was better than it was of Irish, but uh, we're not very good at learning French or German or any other languages in this country when we look at, at people across Europe who can speak multiple well, languages. Well, unfortunately, when you're an English speaker, there's, uh, you know, if English is your first language, there's, a, there's, there's no doubt about it. There's, we're, we're very fortunate that most of uh, Europe's, uh, most Europeans speak uh, proficient English. Uh, all the European institutions operate through English. Yeah, German, uh, French, and Spanish, yeah, and so on. Yeah, why, 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 why can't we teach languages better, though, in this uh, country? I mean, isn't that a fair question that needs to be examined? 
It does absolutely, and especially in Irish. Um, that mm. like when when children are leaving uh, the second level education and have a greater greater standard of, of French than they do of, of Irish. That is a concern. It is a concern for me, for instance, that we will be talking about reducing the amount of time available to Irish. And um, now the Department of the Gaeltacht have engaged extensively with the Department of Education around making sure that, you know, our, our teachers are confident. And again, the, you know, the teachers aren't ridiculed or lampooned by TDs who think they know better and that the, uh, it should become the preserve of a minority. Mm. It shouldn't be the preserve of a minority. This is all of our language. And regardless of your proficiency in it, you know, I, I, I remember a woman in the Gaeltacht saying to me, a woman who had a true love of the language and wasn't going to lampoon somebody, that if you don't know the word in Irish, just stick in the English one and continue, because that's what I do. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll all take that uh, advice on board. Uh, some of us will end up only speaking English as a result. Uh, others might uh, find a word here or there in between. Uh, I'm sure people uh, will meet you uh, across the day today in Rathcarn uh, and will be happy to do so. And it's a big day, obviously, for the Gale Talks uh, in County Meath uh, this morning, Minister. Uh, thanks for talking to us about that. Talk to us about RTE or more to the point, the Oireachtas committees that uh, are, are going to sit today and tomorrow. Uh, is there any point to them given what we've been hearing uh, uh, about uh, how few representatives of RT are going to attempt? Well there's always a point uh, and, and like democracy in public is democracy in action and like it, it, it absolutely needs to be carried out and like I said uh, on, a, on a different medium at the weekend, I view by the way LMFM uh, as, as a public service broadcaster and I don't fall into this trap uh, of the definition that public service broadcast is only that which is carried out by RTE because I believe that, the, you know, that the interrogation that, that, that we've just gone through there with regard to the, either the Irish language or RTE is a public service broadcast. So I think a lot of good will actually come out of this latest debacle. I think, first of all, we will have a, a proper fit-for-purpose definition of what public service broadcast is. And I'm on the record for a long time saying uh, that our commercial radio stations and our commercial television stations uh, need to be part of that, that RT, you know, monopolising 90% of the licence fee, and it will be difficult to collect that licence fee now, mm. uh, you know, is not on anymore, and, and, and that has to change. It, it, is it time to stop contractors? Well, look, I mean, it's certainly, maybe not, but it's certainly time to say that we, you know, uh, the days of, of, when I raised these questions, by the way, eight or nine years ago, I came in for a lot of criticism from certain elements of the media, you know, like, why are you having a go at RT? Why are you asking mm. these questions? leave well enough alone. I mean, I asked uh, questions with regard to a presenter moving uh, to RT in 2015, and I was told I'd find out, as a member of the Public Accounts Committee, three years after. Right. No, I don't think that those answers would wash today. Yeah, well, should, 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 should local radio stations be allowed to have contractors again? Because revenue stopped that nonsense back in the 90s in local radio. So how uh, is look, it that... I, mean, I, think, I think that's going to have to form part of the future discussions on yeah. media. But I think that, like, with, with regard to RTE, a presenter moving in, to fill the gap created by the presenter that's leaving. Like, there should be no commercial sensitivity around that. I would hope mm. that that salary, for instance, would be disclosed today. Yeah. And I would hope Patrick that all, the costs, mm. yeah, I hope all mm. the costs associated with his move to RTE, yeah. including any travel and things like that, would also be disclosed. And that he's paid exclusively by RTE. Yeah, well, look, I think the days of, of them saying that there's a veil of commercial secrecy, look, they, those days are numbered. Uh, no more than yeah, but you, 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 you can't have I mean correct me if I'm wrong but uh, in terms of public service broadcasting uh, as far as I understand the definition of that you can't have presenters on the payroll of commercial companies 
Well, this is why I also said at the weekend that when politics hit rock bottom, there was a requirement in the aftermath of trying to restore the, the reputation of politics that we would uh, uh, publish on an annual basis our declaration of interest. And I think that those that are, you know, working in the public purse, uh, for especially opinion farmers uh, in, in the public service broadcast, should follow suit, um, that there should be an annual declaration, and, and that would clean up an awful lot of it, to be quite honest about it. BBC have it, there's no reason that we shouldn't have it. Mm. But as, as for saying, we'll find out in three years' time what someone has been paid today, I mean, like, are they having a laugh? Like, that's, that's not going to watch mm. any longer, and they need to disclose it. OK. Uh, and uh, would you include benefits uh, in kind payments, uh, such a, a, as motor cars being given to presenters, uh, as something well, that should uh, be questioned? I think, look, the, the, the very fact that, like, last Friday, most of us never even knew what the concept of a barter account was. Uh, and then none of us ever heard of, uh, you know, Renault uh, being involved in an arrangement where they pulled out of and then RTE had an obligation for it to continue. I mean, this is all uh, new territory for most of us in terms of those of us that would have been scrutinising accounts, either as a farmer member of the Public Accounts Committee or a farmer member of the Communications Committee, which I was both. Never heard the likes of this before. So, I mean, we've heard from the top 10 in RT. Mm. There, there, there are others uh, who are paid fairly high salaries that we haven't heard from that we really need to hear from um, with regard to the same thing. Uh, and look, I mean, I, I think that this is a watershed moment for, for uh, RT. And I heard a representative of, of the union saying this morning, you know, that those politicians, uh, uh, you know, that are, are, are talking about this, many of them uh, are, are trying to, um, you know, almost score pints. This isn't about pint scoring at all or settling all scores. This is about, you know, finally getting answers to questions that I asked in 2015 with regard to a presenter that was moving to RT and I was basically told that I had the audacity to ask. So, like, I, I think it's uh, it's high time now that uh, there is a total, you know, uh, tear it up and start again attitude. If we want people to pay €160, and bear in mind 10,000 people were prosecuted last year mm. uh, for non-payment of licence fee, if we want people to pay that licence fee, there has to be something in return. Mm. Uh, and well, like, you, If uh, you don't pay the fine, you can go to prison. Well, reruns of Mrs. Brown's buys, uh, the Christmas version uh, in the middle of June, you know, is that a public service broadcast as far as I'm concerned? Um, as I said at the weekend, TG Carr, Radio Nagaltic, Lyric FM, you know, they espouse the real values of mm. public service broadcast because they wouldn't attract commercial revenue. Mm. But RT going toe-to-toe with LMFM and trying to, un, you know, undermine your um, marketing revenue stream locally mm. Mm. in the loud meat area, that's not fair. You know, fair game is good sport. Uh, and you know that isn't fair. And mm. if if it, and that's down to those credit notes that the Sunday Independent reported on. Well, if if you know if 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 a halter has to be put on them with regard to what they can do and what they can't do into the future, then it's about time that that was done. To be honest about it, uh, but I think there's lessons for everybody in this with regard to you know what is the definition of public service broadcast? How do we expect it to be delivered? You know, is Michael Reed interviewing Patrick O'Donovan a public service broadcast? I believe it is. Is LMFM broadcasting the obituaries uh, for the loud meat area a public service broadcast? I believe it is. I know that some people mocked and left at that as well the last time I raised this issue on another commercial radio station. In fact, one person wrote a very singing article about me in the Irish Independent, you know, saying, you know, was I now asking for RT to broadcast the bits? It just shows uh, how removed from the plain people of Ireland, particularly those that live outside the M50, some of the people who are commentating on this actually are. 
Okay, Minister, thank you. Stay dry thank and Gurumila Mahogut. That is a Minister of State with a responsibility for the Office of Public Works and indeed uh, the Gale Talk to Patrick O'Donovan. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, thanks uh, to a listener WhatsApping us saying, how can uh, the Director General of RTE resign when she's under suspension? A person who has been suspended is under investigation by their employer. The investigation will find the person innocent or reinstate them or find them guilty and that person will then face sanctions or disciplinary measures. While on suspension, this person cannot resign. This person has to be reinstated and then, and only then, can they resign. It wouldn't have been my understanding of things, but thank you for your message. Uh, somebody else says, I hope Bono won't look for his motorbike back that he gave away on the Late Late Show uh, to Gay Byrne many years ago. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, another text from somebody who says, Michael, in Irish schools, we don't teach languages efficiently. For the first few years, it should only be conversation and then later on add in written and grammar. Uh, Paddy Duffy says, I found it hard to believe that only Ryan Tubridy was in receipt of special treatment and if he was, why? These top paid individuals and not just the top 10 have been living on the hog for decades. What are the wages of the executives past and present? It's a bad joke and the joke is on us. Thanks Paddy as always. Somebody else says hopefully the United Front shown by our elected officials officials in the doll regarding the RTE payments will also be shown for other issues such as climate change. Huge divide in the government on that, uh, obviously between the Greens and Fine Gael. Margaret, thanks for your text as always. She says, how many times over the years have we heard, this can't happen again? Lessons need to be learned. People need to be held to account. Well, here we go again with RTE now in the news over wrongdoing. There is never any accountability for wrongdoing in the higher echelons of society in this country unless there is consequences. When things like this happen, nothing will change. Taxpayers' money is being wasted in a lot of areas without proper oversight. The higher ups in RTE may be private citizens, but they're being paid from the public purse, so they should be accountable to the government and the people of this country who pay their wages. The wages paid to some here is way over the top. Nobody is worth that much money. Thanks indeed, Margaret. We'll stay with that for a a moment. Actually, before (laughs) we do, I might go to another text uh, from somebody who said, honestly, Michael, why do you even bother playing recordings from a chamber full of uh, the same overpaid mouthpieces who indeed themselves don't know what real work is? That's Francie. Thanks, Francie. Well, I think the reason I do it, uh, Francie, is they're the people running the country, like it or not. And if you don't like it, you know what you can do. Uh, There's things called elections. We get the government that we elect. Let's hear more, though, from one of uh, those elected representatives right now. Uh, And again, this is uh, the leader of the Social Democrats. Some interesting points in this one. Mr. Tuberty's agent was instructed to send a British media company, Astus, invoices which were labelled as consultancy services. There was an also explicit instruction to anonymise the transaction, so Mr. Tuberty's name didn't appear anywhere in the paperwork. Astis then settled those invoices at a cost to RTE of over 230,000, comprising of 150,000 for Mr. Tuberty and more than 80,000 in fees. So in order to pay Mr. Tuberty 150,000, RTE chose to do it in a way that cost him an additional 80 grand. No wonder the organisation is a financial basket case if that's how it goes about its business. 
The convoluted manner in which these payments were made and the fact that they did not appear in Mr Tuberty's published salary make it clear that the entire objective here was concealment. Whatever way you want to spin it, this was a deliberate ploy expressly designed to mask the real income of its top earner. Meanwhile, Dee Forbes in her statement yesterday said the object of the exercise was to achieve cost saving. But why, out of all of RTE top, top earners, was a commercial partner tapped to pay some of Mr Tuberty's salary? Why is it so the board could pretend it remained below 500,000 when it published its figures? Not to mention the whole issue of RTE underwriting guarantees that it never thought it would have to pay. You'd have to question if it learned anything from the financial crisis. Mm, as I say, interesting questions put there by Holly Kearns, leader of uh, the Social Democrats. Uh, let's stay with uh, statements in the dull, but let's move this time to a local issue that was raised yesterday. Uh, Taoiseach, the government promise in the programme for government for an end-of-life hospice unit in Drogheda has been very welcome, as has the allocation of €1 million Euros in the budget and the identification of a site in the Lourdes Hospital. Uh, I think the people of Drogheda are waiting for developments since that time. I'm awaiting a reply from the Minister for Health for 10 weeks now as to progress to date. Could I ask that you might ask him uh, to give me that reply urgently as we need significant progress on this site? Finnegan LTD, Fergus O'Dowd putting that question to the Taoiseach. I know the discussions on the end-of-life hospice unit in Our Lady of Lords go back to my time as Minister of Health, so I'm kind of frustrated that it's not already up and running, quite frankly. Um, but I'll certainly uh, ensure that uh, the deputy gets a reply from Mr Donnelly uh, in the next um, next couple of days. All right, we'll watch that space. Leo Ranker there. Let's uh, hear from another local TD in the Dáil yesterday and some legislation brought forward by Padre Tobin. Um, Minister Patrick O'Donovan, very critical of Patrick Tobin earlier on the programme, but let's hear what uh, the A2 leader and founder had to say yesterday in the Dáil when he introduced legislation uh, to uh, deal with uh, the amnesty bill that's making its way through the Houses of Parliament in the UK. This bill encodes into law the cover-up that happened at the time of this murder. This bill is the son and heir of the collusion and the cover-up that happened at the times of those murders. Um, so many families as well will have fought for de- nearly a number of generations now to try and get to truth and justice. Some have shed blood, sweat and tears in their efforts to get to justice. Many of them are actually at inquest stage or investigation stage or have their cases been investigated by the police ombudsman. This bill incredibly shuts down all of those investigations. Those investigations which are already up and running which are already shedding lights on the truth, will be shut down if this bill goes through. This Tory party legacy bill is a unilateral move which damages significantly the relationship between Britain and Ireland. It is unique in drawing the opposition of every single political party on the island of Ireland, north and south. It drives a coach and four through the bilateral process which actually created the Good Friday Agreement in the first place. And the British government have the cheek now to ask the Irish government to cooperate with this bill, even though they've been given the two fingers to the Irish government for the duration of this bill going through Westminster. The British bill creates an independent commission for reconciliation and information recovery. It's another example of the evolution of language in this society, which changes the words to mean nothing what they actually mean. So how can you have reconciliation be put into the title of this bill when at the same time the people that it seeks to, or states to, to help, 
will not receive any reconciliation from it uh, whatsoever. Um, it deletes human rights. It is the antithesis of what a liberal democracy is. The foundation of a liberal democracy is the idea that you can achieve the truth and justice for violent crimes that have happened against you or your family. And this bill deletes that foundation. It's incredibly frustrating that we're, we're allowing the British away with this. Now, I know that the government have said that they may bring the British government to the European Court of Human Rights if they proceed. That's not enough. And uh, Deputy uh, Feehan and myself were in Westminster just two weeks ago. Our friends in Westminster told us to play this card now. Don't wait until the horse is bolted. Don't wait until the bill has been put into place. Please warn the government that we will bring them to the European Court of Human Rights if they proceed in this trajectory. All right, that's uh, Aintu's Padreto Bean speaking in the Dáil yesterday. And we'll talk about uh, the UK's amnesty bill in some more detail just after the break. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, let's speak uh, to Margaret Irwin of uh, Justice for the Forgotten. Good morning to you, Margaret. Thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, we heard uh, pa- Patrick O'Bean of Ain2 uh, before the break introduce legislation in the Dáil yesterday which would force uh, the Irish government to go to the European Court of Human Rights and challenge this British amnesty bill. Uh, but uh, there has been a development uh, in how that has been made making its way through uh, the Houses of Parliament in the UK with uh, the House of Lords rejecting the amnesty element of uh, the legislation on Monday evening. Yes, that's right. Um, Two uh, positive interventions, in fact, on Monday evening. Uh, One, as you say, was uh, the amendment introduced by Paul Murphy, the former Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, uh, Labour, uh, party. Uh, his amendment uh, deleted Clause 18, which introduces conditional immunity in the bill, which of course is the most controversial and contentious part of the bill. And uh, as you know, it's almost universally condemned. Apart from uh, some, I suppose, most Conservatives, but uh, in the House of Lords, uh, there was uh, a majority of 12 in, to, delete, to delete this uh, this clause in the bill. But of course, uh, it will now have to go back to the House of Commons and they will be able to reinsert this clause if they so wish. Mm. There was also another uh, amendment by um, the SDLP's Margaret Ritchie in the House of Lords, um, which... Um, was setting a standard for the type of investigations that might be undertaken under the ICRIR uh, that the Commissioner uh, must ensure that each review is carried out to criminal justice standards as modelled on Operation Canova and to comply fully with obligations under the European Convention of Human Rights, etc. And these are very welcome uh, amendments and interventions but as I say, of course, they will have to go back now to the House of Commons and it's hard to see certainly that they won't uh, reinsert uh, these clauses uh, into the bill because uh, the main reason for the bill is to, um, you know, give a, a get out of jail card to yeah. the uh, to veterans. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah but it, the, good, the good thing is that it may well delay the bill anyway, at the very least. 
It's not often, is it, uh, that that is a phrase that's literally used, but it is a get-out-of-jail card that the British government is trying to give uh, to uh, members of its defence forces. You mentioned Operation Canova. Uh, that's uh, the operation that's been going on for some time now uh, and is headed up by former Chief Constable John Boucher, and he's looking at, at uh, some of the worst atrocities that took place during the Troubles, some 200 murders. Yeah, well, that's Operation Canova, which is related to the state knife cases. Of course, he's also um, undertaken what's called Operation Denton, which is um, includes Dublin Monaghan bombings and uh, Dundalk bombings and uh, Castle Blaney bombing and the murder of John Francis Green. So they are all included in Operation Denton as well as many, many cases north of the border, uh, covering about 120 murders, linked murders in all. Yes, so there are two mm. separate um, inquiries that he's undertaking. Okay, he's but that, that... completed, obviously, Canova, and uh, hopefully that's going to be published in the near future. Okay, <laughs> but that, that amendment that Margaret Ritchie put uh, would mean that he would be able to continue with, with his work uh, uh, and that this amnesty bill wouldn't block the work of uh, John Boucher. Uh, but that may be reinserted, you say, as indeed the amnesty may be reinserted when it returns to the House of Commons. Well, that's right, yes, but uh, um, I'm not sure that um, it's going to affect John Boucher's work because, as I say, He's completed uh, Operation Canova and he hopes to have Denton complete before the 50th anniversary of the Dublin Monaghan bombings next May. Now, the cut-off date is the first for in terms of this bill uh, going through the British Houses of Parliament. The cut-off date for that is the 1st of May next year, 2024. So he would hopefully have both uh, his investigations complete by then. Mm. The Joint Committee on the Implementation of uh, the Good Friday uh, Agreement, uh, which is chaired by Fergus O'Dowd, has called on the British government to drop this bill. Uh, Is there any prospect of that, uh, given uh, the British government's attitude towards all of this up to now, in the face of so much opposition, it would seem, from everybody on this island? Yeah, well, I mean, it's up to the Irish government. We would certainly be hoping that um, that the Irish government would take a case to the European Court on this. And uh, we are very pleased to see that the Good Friday Implementation Committee has called on the government to do the same. And uh, we, in fact, have requested a meeting with the Taoiseach. Uh, a number of victims' organisations uh, have requested a meeting with him and we're, he's hoping to give us a date, hopefully in the near future. And we will start, that will be our main reason for meeting with him to uh, encourage him uh, and the government to take a case to the European Court. I know he has already said in the Doyle that, that the Irish government will consider mm. taking the case, but I think they need to go further and, and take the case if this uh, bill becomes law. Okay. Uh, where does Brexit come into that? <clears throat> well, it doesn't come into it at all, in fact, because uh, this we're talking about the European Court of Human Rights and that's not affected by, by Brexit. Um, so they they have to they would have to um, you know ready up for that if they're if if the case is taken by the Irish government. 
Mm. Okay, uh, they would have to abide by the ruling of the mm, European Court of yeah. Human Rights. Yeah, despite, that's right, yes. d- despite having left the European Union. That's right, yes. It's not, it's not connected to the European Union. Okay. All right. Uh, and you're calling on the government to take that case. Now, obviously, Absolutely. in line with what Peter Tobin was saying yesterday, uh, and that's a, a view that's shared by uh, the relatives uh, of all of the victims and indeed those who suffered many of the atrocities during the Troubles. Yeah, it's well. I mean, it's it's uh, everybody is against this uh, mm. bill. Practically, uh, you know, the 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 Labour Party in Britain is against it. The Irish government, of course, is against it. The U.S. government is against it. Uh, the United Nations, um, mm. uh, the European, uh, the, the Council of Ministers in Europe is against it. So, uh, you know, every everybody except uh, the the Conservatives uh, in Britain yeah. are against this bill. Yeah. And Patsy Kelly's family would be against it, I'm sure, uh, given Absolutely. the success that they've had this week. Yes, well, they haven't had success yet. Uh, the, the success is, uh, is that uh, the Attorney General will consider, hmm. uh, reconsider uh, granting them an inquest. But you see, the problem, the, another amendment which uh, Nuala O'Lone tried to take uh, the other day on Monday evening was that um, she she wanted the uh, she wanted to make an amendment that would delete the clause that uh, prohibits all existing and future inquests, investigations, and inquiries. And uh, unfortunately, that was uh, defeated uh, by 16 votes. So, you know, that that is going to happen if this bill becomes law. All inquests are going to be stopped and, and they won't be allowed unless they are pretty much finished by the 1st of May next year. They won't be allowed to carry on, which is a terrible, uh, a terrible thing to do to victims, families. Mm. Uh, it's going to cause enormous trauma for families okay. that if they might be halfway through an inquest and it stopped. So, uh, you know, the the Kelly, the case of Patsy Kelly, I certainly hope that an inquest will be granted. But the worry is, of course, would it would it be done in time as well okay. as so many as so many others? All right, Margaret, we have to leave it there. Thank you indeed uh, okay, for joining us as always. Vote. Margaret Irwin of Justice for the Forgotten. Now, bad news for workers in Tara Mines. The company has concluded its talks with uh, the unions and a statement from Belyden says it's with great great regret that the decision to temporarily suspend operations and place the mine into care and maintenance from mid-July is now unavoidable. You'll hear more in the bulletins. That's our programme. God willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning, 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie 